Welcome to the New Songs 5 Gen podcast. Hey, Sean. Hi, Billy. How's it going? Good. How are you? Um, Not too bad. I really need a nap. Yeah. What's, how do you spell that? Is that with a K-N? I don't I really know. I think so. And a T at the end. Yeah, I've, so I think it's been seven years since I've had one of those. So, yeah. Oh, I, I took a nap on Sunday. How was that? Was it everything we <laughs> dreamed it would be? It was glorious, yeah. yes. <laughs> Truly a God-given moment, I right? sleep like the dead. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> so, Sean, you and I have been in um, church life now together for about five years yeah about five years yeah it's been pretty great but um tell me about yourself about your past like how's your family how's your like how many siblings do you have so I grew up in Minot um I have a sister and um that's it she is about a year and a half younger than me so we were separated by one grade um you know my my family life was tough um my dad was a violent alcoholic who um, was difficult to live with. Um, you know, I, I often tell people like when I give my testimony, which we'll touch on that a little bit as we go. But, um, as I talk about my earliest memory is basically my dad choking my mom and me being like four or five years old, trying to stop him. Like that was kind of my life. And I guess you could kind of put my life in a nutshell from that point on. Mm -hmm. Um, I grew up Catholic. Um, I went to six years of Catholic school at Bishop Ryan high school. Um, so like I knew who Jesus was, you know, but I didn't really know. And this isn't a, this isn't speaking towards Catholicism in any way. This was just who I was and where I was in my family and things. Is I knew who Jesus was and I knew he existed. So I guess you could say I believed in him, but I didn't have any kind of relationship with him. Mm -hmm. Like it was just very, um, at very most, it was skimming the surface of who he was. Um, I I was a good athlete. I was always in the faith. You know me. I'm what you would call a bit on the short side. Um, <laughs> just, a uh, <laughs> just a little. But, you know, I was always a really good athlete, and I was always uh, – well, I wouldn't say a really good athlete. I worked really hard, mm -hmm. which helped me be a good athlete. Um, and I had this drive of from the dysfunction in my family. Uh, there was few things in my life I had control over, and those are one of the things where I might be getting beaten literally or figuratively down at home. But I wasn't going to let you beat me on the soccer field or on the football field or on a basketball court or whatever. It didn't really matter. Mm -hmm. And so as you're going through elementary school, middle school, and even early in high school, that will that's enough to kind of get you to that. I always said that I was always – I was never um, all-conference or all-state. I was always that honorable mention. You oh, know, and yeah. then – and every team I was on, I was always voted the hardest worker or, you know, I always got the toughest or whatever because mm – -hmm. And that was my upbringing, you know. Um, so that's kind of how I grew up. Um, you know, I uh, I had aspirations of going to school. I actually was going to go to school for psychology. That's what I was going to wow. go to college for. Um, I wanted to, too. <laughs> well, and funny we end up here, which, you know, right? <laughs> right. Um, but, yeah, so I went and I did my, you know, my one year. And I hated it. And I didn't want to be there. And so that was my college for my first run. You know, mm -hmm. I just kind of. Didn't put much effort in, you know, I, I showed up because everybody expected me to, to yep. go to college. Cause that's what you did. You graduated high school, you went to college. That's what you did. And I did it. And I, I found out that, did you know that if you don't go to class, you don't do very well? No, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. I, so I, like, I always ended up attending my class. <laughs> yeah. No. So I thought that I could just show up for tests like you did in high school. So you like in high school, I never studied. No, I'm not the smartest guy in any room. But I'm also not the dumbest, and I was also very lucky to where, like, I'm very good at – my reading comprehension is good. So if I took even remotely decent notes, I could just skim the notes, and I could get a passing grade, at least a C or B. Mm -hmm. And that's all I cared about. Could I play football? Okay, that's good enough. You know, right. I never cared about being on an honor roll or anything like that, so I never applied myself. I applied myself enough to play, and that yep. was it. And I tried that in college. Yeah, that doesn't work. <laughs> Didn't work at all. Nope. So – not at all. <laughs> and then the journey here to Bismarck was um, an interesting one. Uh, I, you know, we can get into that a little bit more, but um, I've been in Bismarck now for, what, almost 20 years. It'll be 20 years next year mm -hmm. is when I came down. So, um, and that's where my life started to change drastically. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
through the dysfunction and through the things that I was walking through, you know, was like I didn't want to be my dad, yet I became an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. And those are those generational curses, things that are really difficult to get past. And the funny thing was is I could always use him as my measuring scale, you know, so I'd be like, well, I'm not as bad as him. You know, so even at the height, no matter how much I drank, and even when I became a maintenance drinker where it was literally – I'd wake up in the middle of the night and I'd be in shakes and I'd have to drink in the middle of the night in order to sleep. You know what I mean? It was that bad. And uh, I could say that I wasn't as bad as my dad because I wasn't beating up my girlfriend at the time, which is my wife now. I wasn't beating her up and I wasn't doing the awful things that he was doing. So somehow I was better than Mm -hmm. him. And uh, man, when you're an addict and you're in that, you rationalize any way you can to be okay with using. And that was kind of mine. That was mine. I was never as bad as him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I first got down here, um, I helped open up Ground Round. If you remember Ground Round being here, that's when I moved down here. When Ground Round opened, which doesn't even exist here anymore. But I was really, a, I thought yeah. I was still on Third Street. Nope, nope. That's a bank now. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's what we do here with banks. My not everything is like that closes and opens up as a bar. In he, in Bismarck, apparently everything that closes and opens up as a bank. I don't know what's going <laughs> on. Uh, I mean, at least it's a bank. <laughs> <laughs> so, I opened up uh, Ground Round. I was one. Of, I was an assistant kitchen manager there, um, and my drinking just literally skyrocketed, mm-hmm. and. Um, I went from being that guy that didn't even hide his drinking. Like, everybody knew I drank. They knew how much I drank because I wasn't, I wasn't in hiding or anything. But when I moved down here, I moved in with, my, with who became my wife. I moved in with Lori. And suddenly, it wasn't a roommate. It was someone who loved me watching what I was doing. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so I started hiding. And the moment I started hiding, it got really bad. I started going to where I wouldn't just drink beer, then it was shots of vodka, and it was this, and it was everything, because I was like, I had to, like, front load before I went and saw her, right, kind of mm-hmm. thing. Like, so I'd load up on some extra vodka so that I could just have a couple beers and maintain what I need to maintain, and that quickly escalated me from being just someone who drank a lot to becoming a maintenance drinker. Yeah. And so one day when I was talking about I got to that worst part where I was literally having to wake up in the middle of the night to drink, and I... But the doctor, because I wasn't feeling well. What a surprise. I wasn't feeling well. Wow. <laughs> and the doctor comes in. He's like, yeah, we're just going to order some blood work real quick, whatever. And I was like, okay, whatever. And he's like, so, you know, and the shocking thing was is they took the blood, and he came back with the results in, like, 20 minutes. Wow. Like, they wanted it now, and he got it now. He walks in. He sits down. So he goes, <clears throat> so how much do you drink? And I'm like, what makes – why? Why are you asking me that? And he's like – well, he's like, I'm going to ignore the BAC I just took because it doesn't matter. He's like, but these are your liver numbers. And he said, you're 27. If you want to see 37, if you don't stop now, you probably won't make it. Wow. And I was like, what? And, like, my life just drained out of me, right? So, well, I guess I got to quit drinking. But I didn't want to quit drinking. I'm doing it because I want to live. Mm-hmm. And I white-knuckled nine months. And then I relapsed. And it wasn't just a relapse. It was a full-blown, like, back to where I was. Mm-hmm. Um, an interesting note to give people, anybody that's listening to this. The first time I quit drinking, I went to my mom's with my wife. And that was at, like, say, 10 o'clock in the morning, I think, something like that. I drank a beer on the way over. And I chugged one more before inside her house because I knew that was, gonna be the, that was supposed to be my last one ever, right? And I started DTs, like shakes, and not feeling well within an hour or so after stopping. And it was so bad I couldn't take a drink of water. I was shaking so bad. And they had walked away, and I knew that my stepdad had hidden, like, blackberry brandy. And I hate blackberry (laughs) brandy. But yet, I found my way to it, and I had a couple shots. And it... The two shots wasn't even enough to, like, level me out to be able to... Where I could take a drink of water or anything. It was that bad. So... I white-knuckled through that for about another two, three hours. And then finally, my mom and my wife decided that. She wasn't my wife yet, but that I'm probably pretty close to seizing. So it was time to go to the ER. you know. And I was so afraid to go to the ER because I honestly thought they were taking me there to lock me up. I thought they were mm-hmm. going to me and they were going to leave me in there. Mm-hmm. And um, 
I walk in and they tell them what's going on and they see me and I didn't sit in that waiting room for more than a few minutes and they had me in the back and I'm walking in back and there's cops everywhere because they had brought the cops had brought some people in mm-hmm. and I of course thought they brought they were there for me somehow and these are probably one of my first moments where I think Jesus kind of knew my heart and he kind of he helped me calm down to walk in and that I walked in and they took some blood and they put me on a banana bag because I was so dehydrated and I started feeling better and they gave me some Ativan which stopped the shaking and well it got it down to where I could function mm-hmm. and they brought it in now I don't remember this no I know my wife and um, my mom can tell this but they brought in the stats of what my BAC was and I was in active tremors where I couldn't even take a drink out of a water glass even a water bottle would have been tough and my BAC was like 0.24 so I drank so much in my life at that point that a point two four caused DTs. Wow. So, like I said, the second time I, I relapsed and the second time I went in, um, I quit because I wanted to. So I started going to AA. I started doing that stuff. And I was kind of working it, but I was not really working it. But I this time I wanted to because I didn't want – I wanted to live, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I made it three years. I even worked in a bar. I dealt blackjack at box almost all the time. Wow. I went, I worked in a bar and I was like, honestly, being around the drunks kind of helped me. Cause I was like, you guys are so annoying. <laughs> hey, this was me. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so it was, it was kind of, it was, it was easy for a while, but then, um, I, I could feel the creeping up of like, I needed to make a commitment to Lori, you know, like, mm-hmm. cause we started dating in, I mean, really dating in 2001, um, and I moved down here in 2002, and it was like, this was pushing 2005 now, and we hadn't made, I hadn't made a commitment to her, and I was starting to feel it, and um, that pressure, I think, well, it's not, it's not the reason, it was just part of the trigger mm-hmm. that caused it, and then being in the environment, and then slowly what started happening is instead of me just kind of going home after we got done working or whatever, I started hanging out a little bit with people, and then I started, like, I'd have a day off, and then Lori would have to be working at K Jewelers at the time, and then so she wasn't going to be off until nine. So I'd go to the or they were going to the bar, and I'd go to the bar. I wouldn't drink, but I'd be there hanging out. Now instead of working in the bar, I'm hanging out in the bar. The temptation. Yeah, and I'm walking myself into it, right? And it's like, and it's almost like I knew I was walking myself into it, and I started to not care that I was walking myself into it. And surely but surely, I started drinking again, and it was basically through that summer of Katrina and all that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And I remember laying on the floor. And Lori's sitting cross-legged on the floor. My head's in her lap. And I'm crying as we're watching Katrina. And it dawned on me that I wasn't crying about Katrina. I was crying because I'm dying. Because I'm literally killing myself. And I'm going to miss out on so much if I don't decide to do something different. So I decided I want to go to Heartview. And so I went and we got checked into Heartview. And I wasn't supposed to. I was like 45th on the list or something like it's the worst part about our existence in this world right now. So many people are addicts and they can't even get treatment because there's no way in because they're mm-hmm. just, they're backed up. And only by Jesus, they called me the next day and said, come on in. Wow. And so I got in and I worked the program and I tell people that I stayed sober from 2005 to 2013, 14 ish. Mm-hmm. And then my son was born in 2014 and I remember I brought him home, and I remember standing over his crib one night, and I said, Lord, I want to have victory over this. I want to wake up and just never even think about drinking again. And I woke up that next morning, and something was different. I didn't know what it was. I just knew something was different, like a weight was gone. Mm-hmm. And I can say honestly, okay, this is the God's honest truth. There's been a few times... It literally happened this summer where we're all in the car together driving and there was a beer commercial and they had that mm-hmm. sound and it was super hot outside. And I looked at Lori and said, you know what? For the first time, man, a beer really sounds good. Not getting drunk, not drowning my sorrows, that taste of that ice cold beer right out of the cooler. It mm-hmm. sounded good to me. And I thought to myself, that's the first time I've even really thought about it in years. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't a temptation. It was that one little... Now, the enemy wanted me to think it was a temptation, but it wasn't. It was like, that would taste so good. Like, just a ch- one drink out of it, and then I can hand it off, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but, yeah, he gave me victory over it. And that was the moment that I trusted what he did for me. That's when everything changed for me. 
That's awesome. Mm -hmm. That is so awesome. So since I can't even do math, how many years is that then? (coughs) Well, so I believe I went into Hartview in October of 2005. So we are at 16. 16. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I often tell people, I, I, and I, matter of fact, on Wednesday night, I just said it, you know, um, I told some people that were in there that I'll never tell you that it's easy, but once you figure it out with Jesus, it is right. Like, cause anything with him is something like that. Th- those things that we carry that aren't for us are, are, he'll take them and you'll never even know it, you know, but I, I had to do the work. I had to do the stuff to, um, get deep into the hurts of why I drank. I had to get deep into the things that I was hurting from. I had to get deep into the PTSD that I had from my childhood. I had to handle that. And I didn't necessarily handle that so well with, like, I didn't go to psychologists so much. I mean, I did see some, you mm-hmm. know. Um, but, like, it was like I'd go see a psychiatrist or a psychologist, and it was like, this isn't who I'm supposed to be talking to. I didn't know why I wasn't supposed to be talking to them. Yeah. Jesus is like, hi, I'm over here. <laughs> Just waiting for you to come over and talk to me. And we'll work this out. Um, but I didn't know what that, you know. Um, so when did you introduce yourself to Jesus? So I would have to say, we, so the first time we walked into this church was 2011, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, now remember, I came from a Catholic background. So I walked in here and I'm like, what's all this music? And where are the pews? And why are their hands in the air? <laughs> what is this? And I'm looking at Lori going, what did you walk me into? <laughs> So Lori picked out the Lori, church. yes, because actually Lori, when she moved down here in 2001, it was, um, her roommate actually brought her to the old, old light club here. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So they actually came up here and hung out a few times and they actually were, were here. Yeah. So Lori had been in this church long before I ever walked into it. Um, but we had, we had looked at other churches and I wouldn't say that we really walked into very many. But there was something weird when I walked into New Song. Like, there was that first initial, like, where are the pews? Why are your hands in the air? This music is crazy. Like, what is going on? And Kurt, well, I remember Kurt was doing the message. And I remember he was talking about his journey when he was running from his from his calling. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he was talking about, you know, having visions of angels and things and stuff. And I'm like, what is this? Where am I at? You know, like that's just stuff we didn't talk about in Catholicism, or at least in my church. Like, we didn't talk about that stuff. And it was really, what I thought was would have freaked me out was, like, I was drawn to it for some reason. I didn't understand why. Um, but then in about 2012, about when we when I decided to go out in the oil field, that kind of changed. Something about, I went out in the oil field, and I started making oil field money, and I felt no fulfillment in it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I felt, I mean, it felt good to be paying out bills and to have things and, like, there was no stress there about how are we going to make this payment or, you know, mm-hmm. this. Like, it was it was good, but, like, it didn't make me feel what I thought I was going to feel. And then every time we came back, I thought I we whenever I came back, we always came to New Song. And we'd go to church, and I would thank Jesus for what he's doing. And he slowly started just, my heart started softening, that potato heart, right? Mm-hmm. It slowly started softening, and he crept his way in. Um, so that's how I ended up at New Song, how we ended up here. Is another story. <laughs> well, hold on. So a little backstory just for everybody. Um, if you don't know, in the s- state of North Dakota, we're pretty small. So Minot is only like 87 miles north of us. Mm-hmm. So we measure our distance here in North Dakota in hours. So it takes us an hour and a half to get to, to Minot. So <clears throat> that's where Sean grew up and then moved. So... You made it a whole hour and a half. I'm proud of you, buddy. (laughs) Well, I mean, I did have some other travels along the way. (laughs) You know, know. like out of high school, like when I gave up the college, I I actually had a job on the railroad on BNSF. Um, That was right when BNN just bought SF. Like Santa Fe Railroad wasn't in a bike. When I first got hired, it was just BN. Like the next year, it was BNSF. Um, And that was an interesting thing. Like that job was, I was a maintenance of way employee, meaning I worked on the rails, right? Yeah. Um, And you, you know, it's all seniority days and stuff like that. So to work in North Dakota was like impossible. Like that was. Oh, yeah. So I had to work on these mobile gangs where you were safe. And so we would travel out on the country. Well, that was just a big party with a bunch of guys making too much money who were way too young. That's what it was, right? Yeah. Which is great for a guy who's walking through into into addiction, right? (laughs) Um, And I'll say this, like a weird thing happened. My cousin actually became a conductor on CP rail. 
And he's like, you should come do this. This is so much easier. And I really liked what I was doing where I was at. And, but I followed him because I kind of grew up with him and I always looked up to him and stuff. And he was a few, three, four years older than me. And I went and became a conductor. And I hated it. Sat in a train. And like sometimes you got on trains where you didn't do anything. You just rode. So I'd get on a train in Harvey, North Dakota, <clears throat> which was about 55 miles from Minot. And then you would get on the train and then you'd go all the way to what was called Portal, North Dakota which is way up in the northwest corner of the and state. nobody knows exists it's about, except for select It's about you. three and a half people and about 5,000 dogs and cats. <laughs> and and it's, a Cana- it's a border town. It's a Canadian border town, right? Yep. And it's the border where you could go through, and a lot of people would go to Regina that way, yep. if that means anything to anybody. But So that's where I would, I would do. And um, I had one day where I drove 55 miles from Minot to go to Harvey. I got on a train. And the first town outside of Harvey, I believe, it's either the first or second town. It's called Drake. Mm-hmm. And it's like 20 miles or mm-hmm. so. We pulled into a siding so all the other trains could go by us. And we sat there for 12 hours. Oh, You couldn't bring any reading material. And that was before smartphones, so it didn't matter. But you couldn't bring any reading material unless it was, you know, CP reading material. This and that. And so there I was sitting with a guy that I had nothing in common with. And we're trying to make conversation. And... I decided this is enough. I can't do this anymore. So I gave up. You know what? I, honestly, I mean, I was 19 when I started on the railroad. Like, I could, I'm 47. I, in three years, I could just give it up. Mm-hmm. I could just quit. And I'd be getting, and I was on during the time when your unions, like, so for instance, at your union, when you had your like 25, I think it was, you got paid 80% of whatever you were making at that time for the rest of your life. Oh, and wow. if you were married, your spouse got 50% of that. That's awesome. And your benefits all the way to life. And that's where I'd be. But, like, that's not where I was supposed to be, right? So yep. Jesus made sure I became a conductor so that I would hate it so that I would leave. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. And then another little backstory real quick. So in New Song um, back in the, what, the 90s, um, our lead pastor now, super awesome, was our youth pastor at the time. And so um, they had created this thing called the Light Club, and um, we, they had dances in there. Mm-hmm. Kids would come do their homework. It was it was like this really cool youth and young adult hangout place that was safe. Yeah, it was open, and then they had bands that would come in, and it was it was really cool. So um, when he had mentioned that his wife came to the the Light Club years before. So, <laughs> yeah, and we're bringing it back now, right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yes, I'm yeah. so excited so I'm for excited it. I'm excited too. It's gonna be cool. Yeah, no doubt. So, so you you obviously got married to your girlfriend who helped you through this, mm-hmm. and then she brought you to New Song, mm-hmm. and Jesus kept um, poking at you every time our lead pastor would talk about (laughs) well and you and everybody else that would talk about (laughs) serving yeah it was this talk uh, about serving it's it's i like to call it the uh the walking butt basically to see somebody talks about serving and all of a sudden you can't sit still in your chair anymore you know or you always see something on the back wall that you need to pay attention to because you don't want to look anybody in the face and i i knew i was supposed to serve and i actually even went home and i was on the website and i was like what should i do like where should i go and i was like maybe find or something you know because like you know i was driving school bus for harlow's and for the bismarck public school system so you know i was i was working with kids and i was i was walking through this this thing and like kids in my whole life people have always confided in me like Mm -hmm. i was always a mediator in things and i was always a person that um, people would just walk up to me like, I don't know why I'm telling you this, but I'm just telling you. And I was like, okay, whatever. You know, like it yep. was just who I was. And I had kids telling me things on the school bus that were disturbing and they were scary and they were, and they bothered me because it reminded me of what I grew up in. And some of it was worse, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I would hand them off to the school system and hope that it gets taken care of. And it was an empty feeling. And it was, and then I'm, and then I'm, I'm faithfully coming to new song through that, and I'm feeling this need to serve, and I'm like, okay, fine, so let's serve, and um, so finally I sign up for it, and um, it's a funny story because when Zarek was born, my son Zarek was born, Lori and I both kind of lost ourselves in him. Mm-hmm. We started pouring everything into him, and um, 
we kind of lost who we were as a couple and even as individuals in many ways. And our marriage was in a tough spot um, when he was about one. Right before he was one, we were very disconnected. And um, I, of course, was starting to feel that feeling something was going on. I didn't know what it was. Like, I won't even say that it was a calling, but now I know I was running from a calling, but I didn't know that then. And so the enemy was all over and just trying to divide us so badly. And I know that now. I don't know. I didn't know that then. So I just want to preface that. Like, it's not like I was aware of this then. I just knew that things were really bad. So we decided to schedule a care meeting here. And we got Travis. Oh. And we sat down and had a a pastoral care thing with Travis. And um, for the listeners who don't know Travis, Travis is an amazing pastor who hears the Lord very, very well. Absolutely. Um. And he, when I say he hears them, I mean prophetic things. Like he, and, and he's very good at not pretending to know what it means. He just says what he feels like he's supposed to say. <laughs> and he said some things to me that I didn't enjoy all that much, to be quite frank. He <laughs> said some things to Lori that she didn't enjoy either. I mean, he, it wasn't like he was attacking me or anything like that. But he got the impression that I didn't like him because of that meeting. And he, he even admits to it that he like avoided me in church. Like he didn't come to talk to me and stuff because he just felt this really awkward thing. So when it was time for someone to come talk to me about serving, it was supposed to be Travis. <laughs> and, but he was too afraid to come talk to me. So he handed it off to Mike, Pastor Mike Erickson. Um, and Mike Erickson was helping with the South Campus thing that we're working on still, which is almost coming to fruition here this which year. Which is another one where you and I were on the team. Yes. Yes, it is yet another team. But um, So what ended up happening is Mike came up to me and he said, hey, I heard that you're interested in serving. What would you like to do? And I'm like, I have no idea. I just, I told the Lord I'd do it. So whatever you want me to do. And he's like, well, we do a Bible study every week on Thursdays down at the homeless shelter. He's like, how about you come and do that? I said, that sounds awesome. And I said, I'll do that. And I said, I just want you to know I'm not that super strong in the Bible. And I mean, honestly, I was okay in it. I mean, like Mm -hmm. I said, that reading comprehension stuff that I had, I mean, like I would retain it, but like. I'm thinking like pastors have to know the Bible, like word for word, you right. know, cover to cover. Like they can just. Thankfully, that's not, not the truth. Well, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Um, so the funny thing is, so I said, okay, fine. I said, I'll go do that. And um, that unique moment is, was transcended what happened in my life from that moment on. So Mike had just come back from the Foursquare National Convention with Kurt. And I believe Bill Morrison was doing the message that day. And this was when Kurt was experiencing with like being down on the floor instead of on the stage. Oh, yeah. And when he said I had the podium down there, right? Yep. And um, so I love about my our pastor. Like he'll just try stuff and it's so awesome. But um, he's down there and he's talking about um, – because he always comes back and he talks about what they talked about at the Foursquare Convention, what's like really on the list of things that need to happen, blah, blah, blah. And he's walking it out and he says – he starts talking about how – we're really we need more pastors and in that moment uh, the best way i can describe it to people is if you've ever stared at a point in the wall and like you just stare at it and all of a sudden everything like you just hone in on that spot and everything around it kind of just melts away Mm -hmm. right in that moment that's what i saw kurt turned and looked at me and he said we have pastors that are aging out we need more pastors and he's like only talking to me like i don't Mm -hmm. see anybody else it's just him i know i'm in the room i still like feel i'm in the room i know i'm there but it was just this weird, surreal feeling. Like, mm-hmm. and he stops talking, and my wife is sitting next to me, and there was like he looks away, and it was like like I was just shocked that all of a sudden I was back in the room, kind of like normal, and I kind of did like this shudder, and she kind of looked at me like, "What is your problem?" Right? You know? <laughs> and I said, "Was Kurt kind of looking over here the whole time he was talking?" And she's like, "Well, I mean, you know, Kurt, he's looking around the room. We need to talk." So, I said. <laughs> so that was the moment and um and and the way Jesus proved it to me is I went to the Bible reading study that night that Thursday and I was doing a I was doing a a a, a, a plan a reading plan on U version mm-hmm. and the reading plan that I was in was on the book of was on the book of John at the time and I walk in to the Bible study, and we have these little books. We call them life books. And we were doing a life book. And Mike hands me the life book, and he said, hey, this is what we're going to be doing today. Because I was all worried that, like, they're going to be talking about stuff, and I'm not going to know. And I open up the life book, and I was like, well, okay. And I was like, wow, John, cool. Well, that's a coincidence. And then he's like, yeah, we're going to be right here. And I'm like, the last three days, this is exactly what I covered. 
that's all I've been reading is what's in front of me right now. And it wasn't just reading the plan. It was listening to pastors do devotionals mm -hmm. about that plan. I was getting insights. So Jesus walked through three days of insights and devotionals about the things that we're reading on. And the, the thing is, is the last thing I read and listened to on the devotional was what we were reading tonight. And there was questions brought up about the things that they had done the last two times they did this, which was my last two days. <laughs> of this devotional wow. like you couldn't possibly line it up and i remember i walked out because i was one of the and this for some of you won't mean anything but there's a parking ramp right across from where the old um homeless shelter was and i was parked there and i walked over and i sat down in my pickup and i remember i started my truck and i just laid my head back and i was like i can't believe you did that <laughs> <laughs> you know i had all these questions and now i'm like I, my questions are very different now <laughs> so yeah that was my kind of awakening to God has something more for me than just being a consumer in a church. Mm -hmm. So going back to um, the, the whole point of the podcast is we're, even though we're Christians, we all struggle. Mm -hmm. um, forgiveness and reconciliation. Marcus and I talked about reconciliation last month. And so um, one of the things that I like is through all of this, we're able to say, you know, how did, did your healing come, were you able to forgive your dad earlier than Jesus? Or was it more of just a buried, I don't want to touch it? It was more of a, um, a kind of understood, but no, not forgiveness. And, and I think that's a, that is the exact reason why I say it was sober for nine years and then I found victory. Because when yeah. the part of that victory was walking out, um, forgiving him, yeah. truly forgiving him, not just saying the words, but forgiving him. Because my dad died when he was 48 years old. So he died when I was 22. Okay. You know, so he died in 1997. Same year so, as my dad. So, like, yeah, you know what? So, like, when you have to make that reconciliation with someone who isn't there, mm -hmm. um, it's hard. You know, because I didn't get to tell him what I really thought because he wasn't there. And until I got with Jesus and understood that, um, and he helped me walk out because one of my things that I really struggled with is I know my dad believed in Jesus. Mm -hmm. My dad served in Vietnam. My dad came. My dad had some things that happened, which is a whole nother podcast in and of itself. But I'll just say my dad lived through so, some betrayals from mm -hmm. some very, very, very close people in his lives. And my dad got came home from Vietnam with two Purple Hearts. Wow. Um, his second one was because he was in a bunker, um, and they were reloading artillery shells, and there was four of them. And so they had hundreds of pounds of gunpowder on this bench that they were loading, and they were in a firefight. And the artillery that was coming in on them um, had changed the light, which was right by the door, had moved it so they couldn't see what they were doing. So he walked over to, to adjust the light. And as he reached up to adjust the light, he saw something come flying in. It was a Molotov cocktail. Oh. And when it went off, all those hundreds of pounds of gunpowder instantly. Mm -hmm. And so it blew him out of the bunker. And then the three men that were in there um, obviously were de instantly dead, yeah. right? And my, so my dad had second-degree burns on 30% of his body. Um, so he got sent to Okinawa and whatever. But my dad never talked about the pain. All he ever talked about was those three guys all had wives and kids and he didn't. Yep. And the survivor's guilt just crushed him. And the other thing that he only few things is I remember watching. Um, I don't remember. I think it was Apocalypse Now or something back in the late 80s. And it was the first time my dad opened up about Vietnam. And he said um, the thing that resonated with him was the first time he killed someone was he heard his childhood priest yelling, thou shalt not kill. Oof. And it was this, he carried that. And then he got to come home and get, you know, arm in a sling, third, you know, second degree body, burns across his body. And he got beer bottles thrown at him and mm -hmm. spit on and called a baby killer and all these awful, awful things. And, you know, this was the 1960s, 70s and 80s. Like there was not what we have today. And I'm not saying that men today and women that fight have it. Any, I mean, but at the very least, most of they come home to support. And they come home with people to talk to. My dad didn't have anybody. Yeah. And that doesn't justify what he did. But what Jesus showed me was this is what was going on. Because he was hurting so bad and he didn't know how to do it. And so he ended up hurting those who were closest to him. Yep. And I was afraid my dad never was going to make it to heaven. And 
I always prayed that the day that he had his second heart attack and died, that he, on his way down, said, Jesus, I'm sorry, and made it. Mm-hmm. And I've never gotten, I've asked Jesus to show me if he's there or not, and I've never gotten that. <laughs> but, but what I have gotten is an understanding that Jesus, of all people, understands what mental health is. Absolutely. And that there's grace in that. And I'm not going to, uh, luckily, I don't have to be the person that judges whether someone goes or doesn't go. But I have felt the grace that there's forgiveness, true forgiveness. And um, I, if anybody can hear anything about this thing that I'm talking about, there's grace in being forgiven. There's power in that. But when you offer forgiveness for things that have happened to you where you've been victimized or you've been made a victim or you've been treated in such a way that is just inhumane, when you can give that person forgiveness, not the act, but the person, the child of God who was broken that did it, the power in that is something that will free you in a way you'll never understand unless you just walk it out. And I think to me that's the most powerful thing that happened is when I found Jesus and he helped me find forgiveness for my dad and I got to forgive him for everything that he did. And to understand that I got to a point with Jesus to where if I could go back and live my life over again, I'd have still walked through every trial that I did because it made me who I am in order Absolutely. to help the people that are in front of me now. Absolutely. But if I wouldn't have forgiven him, I'd never have gotten that blessing. I'd never have found it. Right. You know, and well, and then think of the think of the generational curse that was beginning to take root in your family. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, well, alcoholism was there for a long time. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, it's it, alcoholism was a part of our family, yes, but, but but the abuse part, the pain, yeah, 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 and that pain and that thing. And you know, my son's never seen me drink. My son will never see me drink. That's awesome. If I have any say in it, anyway. And and you know, I've never hit him. I've never spanked him. And I'm not saying you guys can't spank your kids. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying I was like, I'm never going to hit Zarek. And if I'm ever going to spank him, it will never be in anger. Never in the heat of the moment. Never. I was going to walk away and I was going to come back. My kids always, when we, like, there were a few times it was in the heat of the moment. I mean, we're human. Yeah, right. Um, But when we walked away and then we called them in, that's when they, that's when they were like, no. No, we we know what we did. Please mm-hmm. don't give us a spanking. I'm like, you know, it's the consequences. This of is sin. your consequence. Mm-hmm. So you're going to get it. And when you are cool, calm, and collected, doing that, it does. You don't even have to do it hard. You just have to go through it. Go through the motion, almost. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And it like it touches their soul, just like being convicted of a sin. Then you're like, you know, when the Holy Spirit's like, hey, sweetheart. You've been doing that wrong for a while. Mm-hmm. How about we change that? Yeah. You're like, oh, mm-hmm. oh, okay, okay. Let's, yeah, let's change that. that and that's a tough journey good. differentiating conviction to from guilt to. It's oh, a very, yeah. that's a difficult journey because I had to walk that out a lot. And I, I think all of us do. And I, and I think once you kind of, um, if you build your relationship with Jesus, it'll become clear. You'll know oh, the yeah. difference. And, and the biggest thing is, is as you get closer to Jesus, you know that there's, Something that's about to be drug out in the light that needs to be brought out in the light. So, mm-hmm. like, you're almost expecting it. Like, you know, um, and I think that people think that we have it all together on so many things. Okay. You can't come back in, though. So, I think people think, ugh, like I said, well, we have it all together in some way. And I think that... Um, I think it'd be interesting if everybody walked around a bunch of pastors for a few weeks <laughs> and, and well, saw what it was really like. Well, and to see that, you know, they're just as human as we are. Yeah. Like we may be leaders in um, in the church right now, you and I, but like those pastors are just as human as we are. Yeah. And I mean, they're still, they're walking out their salvation the same way yeah. we are. And, you know, it's funny because I tell people all the time, I said, you know, it, the, this journey with Jesus isn't an easy one. If you're choosing this path with Jesus, I don't care what it is, whether it's becoming a pastor or if it's just you're just a, you're in Christ and you're just saved. The moment you accept Jesus, the enemy is coming after oh, you yeah. with everything that he can to derail you. Because here's the thing is he can't stop you from being saved. You've already accepted that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior and was raised from the dead. That's over. He can't take you away from that. 
Mm-hmm. But what you can take you away from is you getting anybody else on board with you. And if he can keep you from getting people on your, your same train, that's his win at that moment. Absolutely. And so if you have anything in front of you, and he doesn't know what your destiny is. He doesn't know what God knows. God knows exactly where you're going no matter what turn you make. Mm-hmm. Okay? The Satan doesn't know that. All he sees is this gathering of angels and these gathering of other Christians, and he sees this stuff rallying around you, and he's like, hey, go check out what's going on over there. That guy used to be really insecure about stuff. Go get him on that. Ask him about drinking. He loves drinking. (laughs) Right? You know? Exactly. And so um, it's an interesting thing, and I think people – and the other misnomer, I think the biggest thing I get from people is they say – well, I'm just don't I don't have that relationship that you have with God. And I'm like, what do you mean by that? And I always ask him because I already I almost know what they're going to say. Well, you have this unique thing because you you know you're called to be a pastor. And I'm like, no. It's not unique. Mm-mm. You know what? You have chiseled arms and abs. You know why you do? You just have a better physique than me just cuz that's like saying that. No, you work really hard. Yeah. Okay, so those of you that are out there that do have that without working hard, I'm not talking to you <laughs> probably ever again. I love you, but I'm never talking to you. But you know what I mean? Like, no, you work at it, right? Mm-hmm. Well, the reason I have a relationship with Jesus the way I do is because I work at it. Yeah, I read the Bible. I spend time with him. I serve him. I serve his church. I serve his people. And through that, yeah, he speaks to me. But I'm not unique. I'm just as broken as anybody else or in some ways more broken than many. And sometimes we decide that we're going to fill our schedules schedules and get so busy that Jesus just kind of sits back and he's like, well, you know, I'll talk to you when you have time. Yeah, yeah. And it's a difficult thing, that schedule thing. You know, the enemy will help you. Fill <laughs> he, your calendar. Yeah. He, you know what? He, he. It's funny. I, I read something. I don't remember who said it. I want to say it was like Corey Tenbaum or something like that. She said um, the enemy's really good at allowing you to do to all kinds of works for Jesus. As long as you're not spending time with him. Yep. And I thought, wow, wait a minute. How often does that happen where you're serving, but you're not building a relationship? Now, maybe you're helping others, and that's no small thing either, but you're not building a relationship because the enemy knows at some point that wall is coming for you. Mm -hmm. And when that wall comes, if you're not right with Jesus and you're not ready to walk it, because the saying, one of the things I hate most in the world is that God will never give you more than you can handle. No, (laughs) God will never give you more than you can handle with him. Yep. So there's tons this world can put on you that you can't handle. But with Jesus, you can walk through anything, Yep. you know, and the enemy knows at some point that wall is coming for you. And if you're off distracted in your, even in your ministries, Mm-hmm. But you're not building a relationship when that wall comes, when that cancer diagnosis comes, when that heart attack comes, when that when your spouse dies, when your kid gets sick, when something happens, inevitable, you're going to have to face it. And if you're not strong in the Lord, all those ministries and stuff don't add up to much in that moment. Yep. And that's what he's banking on is that because he knows that moment's coming. We're all going to die. Everybody around us is going to die. Something's going to happen. Bad stuff happens. Right. And, and that's why he asked his disciples are you willing mm-hmm. and not, are you ready? Yeah. Are you ready? <laughs> if you'd asked me if I was ready. Oh man. I'd oh, still be man. like, nope, not yet. You no, know, if I could look back from here. Yeah. I'd say absolutely. I'm ready because the blessings on the other side of saying yes are just, I couldn't write them all down. Right. You know, and, and that's only the ones I remember, mm-hmm. you know, not counting the, the thousands I don't knew about. Yeah. Or that were blessed by people blessed just because they knew me. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't something I did. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying my works did it. Just my relationship and my prayers for others, mm-hmm. but they did. And I've seen some of it, but I haven't ever seen all of it. And I think it's going to be awesome when we get to heaven and he turns that painting around and shows us what everything, the epicenter right. is us in this moment. And we get to see everything that resonated out from us. Right. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. So so as we kind of wind down here a little bit, um, do you have any, like, words of encouragement for people who may be battling through things um you know yeah i you know number one guys even if they you know are wondering if jesus is even real (coughs) and being and having to experience things that you did like you know you got any words of encouragement yeah because you know for the longest time i felt like i was alone in things and um the enemy is really good at tricking us into believing you know if god really loved you we wouldn't let that happen to you and here's the thing, you guys, is God had an opportunity when sin entered the world. He could have just 
cut it right there and then remade the world and said, we'll just pluck free will out of this and then there'll be drones that just worship me. Mm -hmm. And he could have done that. But he also, since he's the God that created this timeline, he doesn't have to exist in this timeline. So he gets to see what's on the other end of when he decides that everything ends and it comes to him. And he knows that there's billions if not trillions of individuals that are going to enter this universe of his that would never have an opportunity to gain entrance into heaven if they mm -hmm. didn't exist but in order to do that he had to give us free will to do it mm -hmm. so yeah bad things happen jesus said it he flat out said there will be troubles in this world but don't worry because i've overcome the world and what he's saying to you is is the things that are happening in your lives these things that are not your fault and don't ever 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 think of the abuse that's happened to you as your fault don't no so the biggest thing is is, is they want you the enemy wants you to believe that you're alone again i want to just i want you to know in that he will trick you into believing that you are somehow responsible for the things that have happened to you now for those of us that are addicts we made choices don't get me wrong we walked ourselves into the, some of the stuff that we did and we have sinned, and we have to answer for those sins. However, none of us signed up to be controlled by a substance or by pornography or by physical abuse or any of that, whether you're the one inflicting it or been inflicted. I mean, it doesn't matter. Either way, you didn't ask for that, and you were hurt, and that's why you ended up there. The beauty of it is, is Jesus works all things for good. So every trial that you've walked through, everything that's been difficult, everything that is feels overwhelming for you right now, it doesn't have to stay that way. Mm -hmm. You can find healing in a way that you will never imagine. And the best part about it is, is when you find that healing, those things that were the worst things in your life are the things that are going to save someone's soul someday if you're willing to be that person. Because I know that when I speak to people about my testimony, about what I walk through, and I see their faces light up, and they say, you used to be this drug-addicted, alcoholic, pornography-watching dude, and now you're going to be a pastor? How'd that work? And I'm like, do you think Peter was this really cool dude, that really good guy that had it all together? No. He, Saul was killing Christians. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he became Paul, the greatest evangelist who ever walked this planet. Mm -hmm. you know and jesus loves taking the broken he didn't come here and he even says that i didn't come here for the righteous i came for the sick yeah we're the sick we're the broken amen and the only reason that my life is together right now the only reason i have the family that i have and the son that i have and the things that are in my life that are great are because of jesus because i found out something when i had that trip out to the oil field and made oil field money is the world can bring me happiness but only things from the Lord will bring me joy. Ooh, yeah. And joy is so much deeper than happiness. Joy is generational. Joy is something you carry through eternity. Happiness is fleeting. You go buy a new car, you're super happy. Six months later, it's just your car yeah. again. You have a kid. <laughs> Sometimes there's joy. Sometimes you're happy, but you're always <laughs> joyful. You are joyful. Even in the tough times, you're joyful. Because yeah. it's... it's, it's but when you think about it, if you really stop and you look at your life and you think of things that you find joy in, you'll find a connection that those are things that aren't just man-made products. They're, they're not iPhones. They're not mm -mm. things. They're things that only God could give you. And so my, my promise to you, and this is a promise, that if you look to Jesus and you seriously look at him and you say, Jesus, yes, I want to know you, be ready. Because you're going to, if you're willing, you'll get to know him. And it's not, it's not like, don't get me wrong. When I say you're ready, it, be ready for something amazing. Be ready to be healed. Be ready to be transformed. Be ready to be stretched. Be willing. Be willing. Yeah. Because the journey that he has for you, you could never be ready for. No. Because I, I never thought I'd be sitting here talking to you and talking about the things we're talking about. Never in a million I years. I never thought of ever doing a podcast before. Because I don't like the sound of my voice. Right? So. <laughs> well, like when he knocks, 
it's this crazy thing. Like, you know, I'm like this, this, this ministry that I'm being called into starting a fundraising ministry. Mm-hmm. What, you know how I know about fundraising? I know the word fundraising. That's what I know about fun. fundraising. Fun is Hopefully there's fun in there. Right. And, and, but he's like, I don't expect you to know it. You're supposed to just be obedient and let mm-hmm. me lead you in it. Willing. And so I said, I'm willing, Lord, take me. And he's like, good, here we go. <laughs> All right, let's yeah. do it. And there I am. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, would you like to close us out in prayer? I would, absolutely. Right. Lord, we just want to thank you for uh, the things that we have in our life that uh, we can't attribute to anything but you. Lord, we just, anyone that's listening to this, Lord, I ask that you just surround them in the Holy Spirit and let them know your peace, to feel your love and to feel your, the sense of just love and togetherness and the fact that you literally need us and remind them that if there was 7 billion people on this planet, if 699 million of them, 999,000, all the way down to the one, we're all righteous and you were the only one, the person that's hearing this right now, you were the only one that needed to be saved. Jesus would have came here and begged all these righteous people to nail him to a cross for you, just for you. And I want you to know that that's real. That's not something made up. That's not a made-up story. That is a real thing. You can search it. If you really want to, you can go out and you can find it. You can find documentation from the Romans, from the Jewish people that didn't want to admit about Jesus. It's real. It's there. Don't let the enemy make you think that Jesus didn't exist. He did. So just seek him out, and I promise you, you will find something that you never thought you could find, and that is a love that you cannot even imagine. And so, Lord, I just ask you to protect, give provision, give protection, give favor, and give health to anyone that's hearing this. And, Lord, we just we give it all to you. And I know I speak for Billy when I say we offer ourselves to you as living sacrifices mm-hmm. for your will, Lord. Whatever you want from us, as long as you're leading, I will go. So I seal this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, thanks for visiting with us today. You're welcome, Billy. Anytime. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thank you for joining us on the 5Gen Podcast. See you next time.